What can we learn about violent mobs? What do they accomplish? Are there distinguishing characteristics of a mob? The best place for answers is the Bible. Biblical history records our unseen enemy regularly stirring up riots. Today, our host, Bill Petrie, will look at these important questions. Some scenes from the evening news get etched into our memories. I recall seeing a few months back a college professor step outside his building and become suddenly surrounded by a very angry pack of students. These students were shouting verbal abuse right into his face. He became trapped in a circle of humanity who blocked his every move. His prior advocacy of these behaviors ironically did not spare him when he transgressed some unwritten code. The mob had come to devour one of their very own. I remember seeing, not so long ago, a senator and his wife's evening out being cut short when a mob descended on them and harassed them all the way to their car. Even policemen have become targets. Angry crowds swarm over their cars, threatening to set them ablaze. And who can forget the truck driver in the Los Angeles race riots touched off by the Rodney King beating in 1992? This truck driver was pulled from his cab, beaten, and hit in the head with a cinder block. Perhaps one of the most terrifying things a person can imagine is for themselves and especially their family to be engulfed by an enraged mob. Today's technologies can facilitate a mob mentality. A social media message can summon an aggressive pack in what seems like an instant. Consequently, an online crowd of cyber bullies can gang up on a victim. In many cases, physical violence is not necessary if the angry throngs are sufficiently vicious with their words. Possessing the power to make the timid brave, the good better, or the bad devastating. Crowds. When passions are shared, they swell. Exciting actions to the status of legend or infamy. The power of assembly can build a better society or destroy it. We have already witnessed, and perhaps taken for granted, the good and the sanity of groups. We have seen peaceful protests in our own day, as well as read stories about those who have stood and suffered together for transcendent causes in the past, some of us fortunate enough to hear them firsthand from parents and grandparents or to witness them. Above these, the church itself is a gathered people, an unassuming congregation. 
But for what feels like the very first time, my generation has begun to see the destructive power of the assembly. Or, to use a phrase from a recent book title, the madness of crowds. There is a proverb that states, bad company, when a company can make the good corrupt and the bad worse. Old proverbs have become visible. 1 Corinthians 15.33 says, Do not be deceived. Bad company ruins good morals. Bad company, when a company can make the good corrupt and the bad worse. It takes brazen wickedness to attempt to burn down a business or to loot a Target store, or to break into a city hall. But even a decent man, drunk on the adrenaline of the herd mentality, may do just this when others are doing it too. Nowadays, colleges, businesses, government, and the entertainment industry industry will cancel someone through the growing sinister threat known as cancel culture. What is entailed in this wicked behavior? Cancelers turn a person into a communal pariah by taking steps to terminate their employment, shun them socially, shout them down, distort their legacy, or even go so far as to erase any memory of their existence. A key factor in enforcement is a united, angry mob that gets up in their face personally or online. Some of the techniques of cancel culture were refined on creationist forefathers like doctors Henry Morris and Dwayne Gish. And even now, Christian and conservative speakers are slandered by malicious and personal lies spread via the internet. Unfortunately, even socially or politically conservative observers have largely remained silent when this happens to Christians. And like most untreated diseases, it is getting worse. Now everyone is so afraid of either a riot or online mob that our cherished freedoms of speech is seriously threatened through self-censorship or social media. We are being shut down. What can we learn about violent mobs. What do they accomplish? Are they distinguishing characteristics of a mob? The best place for answers is the Bible. Biblical history records our unseen enemy stirring up riots on a fairly regular basis. 
We cannot study them all today, but we can look at a few passages so we can better understand this issue. Let's look at the rebellion against Moses. After 10 spies brought back a bad report against invading the land promised by God to Israel in Numbers chapter 13, verses 31 through 33, a mob revolted against Moses. Numbers chapter 14, verses 1 through 10 records some of the following phrases. So all the congregation lifted up their voices and cried. And all the children of Israel complained against Moses and Aaron, stewing over their perceived hopeless future, they sought to depose Moses. The intensity of wrath becoming intimidating, and Moses and Aaron fell on their faces before all the congregation of the children of Israel is recorded. The crowd reacted to conciliatory efforts by Joshua and Caleb with even greater fury. And all the congregation said to stone them with stones. At that moment, the glory of the Lord appeared in the tabernacle and the riot abruptly ceased. There was hatred toward the Lord Jesus. An angry crowd was stirred up against the Lord Jesus in Mark chapter 15, verses 8 through 14. Then the multitude crying aloud asked Pilate to release Barabbas instead of the Lord. Pilate withstood the demand, for he knew that the chief priests had handed him over because of envy. But the chief priests stirred up the crowd so that they should rather release Barabbas to them. Yet Pilate further resisted. So they cried out again, Crucify him! Then Pilate said to them, Why? What evil has he done? But they cried out all the more, Crucify him! There was opposition to the Apostle Paul. It seems that mob violence was the weapon of choice to suppress the grace apostle's message. Acts 14 verse 19 says, Then Jews from Antioch and Iconium came there, and having persuaded the multitudes, they stoned Paul and dragged him out of the city, supposing him to be dead. Acts chapter 16, verses 16 through 22, describes a certain slave girl possessed with a spirit of divination. And Paul said to the spirit, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. But those who no longer profited at her expense stirred up a multitude that rose up together against them. And the magistrates tore off their clothes and commanded them to be beaten with rods. And in Acts chapter 17, verses 5 through 7, we read, The Jews who were not persuaded, becoming envious, took some of the evil men from the marketplace and gathered a mob 
set all the city in an uproar and attacked, crying out that Paul and Silas are acting contrary to the decrees of Caesar, saying, there is another king, Jesus. In Acts chapter 18, Paul was compelled by the Spirit and testified to the Jews that Jesus is the Christ. But the Jews with one accord rose up against Paul and brought him to the judgment seat, saying, This fellow persuades men to worship God contrary to the law. And Acts 19 records that after Paul performed numerous Christ-honoring miracles, many of those who had practiced magic brought their books together and burned them in the sight of all. Unsurprisingly, an idol maker stirred up a citywide riot in which they were full of wrath and cried out, saying, Great is Diana of the Ephesians. In characteristic fashion, the whole city was filled with confusion. They rushed into the theater with one accord, whereby some therefore cried one thing and some another. For the assembly was confused, and most of them did not know why they had come together. Confusion notwithstanding, the angry crowd seized Paul's companions. After Paul returned from after Paul returned to Jerusalem, Acts chapter 21, verses 27 through 35 records the Jews from Asia seeing him in the temple, stirred up the whole crowd and laid hands on him. And all the city was disturbed. And the people ran together, seized Paul, and dragged him out of the temple. And immediately the doors were shut. Now as they were seeking to kill him, news came to the commander of the garrison that all Jerusalem was in an uproar. He immediately took soldiers and centurions and ran down to them. And when they saw the commander and the soldiers, they stopped beating Paul. And some among the multitude cried one thing, and some another. So when he could not ascertain the truth because of the tumult, he commanded Paul to be taken into the barracks. When he reached the stairs, he had to be carried by the soldiers because of the violence of the mob. Placing these scriptures side by side simplifies finding the patterns of behavior characteristic of mobs. <clears throat> First, we saw their evil provocation. Recall that envy motivated the instigators of mobs against the Lord Jesus and Paul. Envy, lust, and covetousness are closely related passions. This explains 
why mobs can suddenly explode. Envy readily fuels bitter resentment, outright theft, or envy-driven destruction of coveted property. The thinking goes, if I cannot have it, neither can you. Someone compelled by unrestrained envy can spread lying, slanderous reports with the intention of igniting a crowd's rage. Next, we see characteristics of why any kind of mob, in person or online, is terrifying. The swarm effect swiftly overwhelms the prey. The Bible reveals that there is a pool of confused, readily enraged people who are inclined to riot. Social media enables summoning a flash mob at will. Behaviors are so unpredictable amidst the commotion that they quickly devolve into anarchy. It is hopeless to reason with an irrational crowd bent on expressing their fury. Sheer numbers make self-defense impossible and leave no avenue of escape. Angry mobs possess a bloodlust that is implacable. An appeal for mercy from the victim only fuels the mob's feeding frenzy. Finally, we see how a riotous crowd instantly stops rational speech. Truthful or unfavorable messages immediately drown in the tumult. What an effective tactic this is for those who do not want their beliefs challenged or positions scrutinized. We witness on the news the academic community allowing masses of students to shout down, shove, and pelt speakers with objects rather than encourage them to engage in logical discussion. Case in point, look at some of the protests that have been waged against the Supreme Court of the United States because of its abortion ruling. Yes, it has went so far as mobs being outside one of the Supreme Court justices' homes, threatening him and his family. Given the power in the gospel message, in the true message that can topple false beliefs, it is no wonder that oftentimes Christians are met with hostile anger versus a rational dialogue. The Bible clearly addresses this diabolical tool that is extraordinarily effective 
in fanning rebellion, inflaming hatred, and suppressing truth. Little wonder then that we see malicious people on the street or online trying to stir up an angry following. Should we be surprised to see people wield this intimidating weapon when they want to cancel someone? Mob violence is rightly upsetting and it must be opposed. Some have called for retribution by canceling the cancelers, but I disagree. And I choose to celebrate freedom of speech. I think our forefathers, the founding fathers of this country were wise when they made the freedom of speech. When facing potentially explosive circumstances, the best approach is to be a peacemaker. There really is nothing new under the sun. Today's issues, as desperate as they can be, were yesterday's issues. This means one convenient and profound truth for the Christian. The solutions have not changed. Christ is still the only hope for the world. He, as the light of the world, still shines in the darkness with all its cold and confusion, has yet to overcome it. The world is still full of condemned masses, rabid with sin, following Satan and teetering upon the edge as we once did, breath away from Ionian ruin, all while a narrow way still exists, a hard way, a dangerous way, yet the only way that leads to heaven, a way that might attract a mob or lead you in love for others to desire to enter the heart of a mob, as the Apostle Paul did. Fighting with the madness of crowds is nothing if there is nothing after this life. Paul wanted to run toward, not away from the murderous mob. Paul wished to go in among the crowd, Acts 19.30 states. When he considered his brothers Gaius and Aristarchus captured by the crazed multitude looking for him, he wanted to enter the theater to stand and die if needed with his companions. The madness of crowds in that theater set the stage for the madness of Christian love, a dramatization of Christ's. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. Oh, yes, there is a love that can give people hope, that can compel a man to stand and put his life at risk. 
There is a love that comes from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, who demonstrated that love when we were yet enemies, who willingly came to this planet, allowed a mob to condemn him to death, and then to be that sacrifice for death so that we could have life. You can have this same sort of love given to you by accepting the gospel and having a relationship with our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. The Apostle Paul writes in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 1-4, through 4, the following. Now I am making known to you, brethren, the evangel which I bring to you, which also you accepted, in which also you stand, through which also you are saved, since you are retaining what I said in bringing the evangel to you. Outside and accept you believe feignedly. For I give over to you among the first what also I accepted, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, and that he was entombed, and that he has been roused the third day according to the scriptures. Paul did not go into the theater that day, for the disciples would not let him. And even some of the some of the leaders of the region who were friends of his sent to him and were urging him not to venture into the theater in Acts chapter 19, verses 30 and 31. It was not wise this time to venture so boldly into harm. God had other means for deliverance, but his faith, his hope, his trust in Christ, his love for his brothers are recorded for us. <clears throat> Does it not stir you? What gave Paul his boldness? He tells us, I protest, brothers, by my pride in you, which I have in Christ Jesus our Lord. I die every day. What do I gain? If humanly speaking, I fought with beasts at Ephesus. If the dead are not raised, let us eat and drink, for tomorrow we die. That's 1 Corinthians 15, verses 31 through 32. Fighting with the madness of crowds is nothing if there is nothing after this life. If death were the end, Paul and his companions would go out for drinks, have some laughs, and never cause a commotion for Christ. But Paul believed in the resurrection. He believed he possessed Ionian life. He knew his God. He knew his Savior. He knew he eventually would be immortal after he himself would be resurrected from the dead. He was free to face the mob and the consequences, as he did from city to city and persecution to persecution. Perhaps a time is coming. Perhaps the stage is already being set. 
though I pray we might live peaceful and quiet lives for Christians in the West to be treated as most Christians have been throughout most of church history. And as many are treated now throughout the world. And should it come, we must decide now. Will we be mad enough? Should our God call us to face the mobs and persecution in the name of Jesus by the power of the Holy Spirit? Only those who know this world is not the end can do so. I pray that you believe those words I quoted to you from 1 Corinthians 15, verses 1 through 4. I pray that you put your trust in them so that you can have that relationship with Jesus Christ so that you can be empowered to know that you will have life eonian and eventually immortality. What can a mob do to you when you know that something far greater is on the horizon? Good day and God bless. We want to thank you for listening to this week's Differing Things podcast. If you would like to get more information about the Bible, please check out our website, www.beacon-ministries.org. Do not forget to join us next week for a new Differing Things podcast.